Well, good morning to you. Welcome back to all the students who are, are back from spring break. Um, it's good to have you back. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ryan Silhavy, and it's, it's my privilege to serve in the church as one of the, one of the ministry interns here. And being a ministry intern, uh, I get to do a lot of exciting things for the church. I wear a lot of hats. I do a lot of different things. Um, and sort of to give you an example of, of, one, of the, one of the things I do for the church, um, I'll, t- I'll tell, you a little, tell you a little story. Uh, I was sitting in the office on Friday. Uh, we're in the office Friday mornings. And Job Hammond, our director of youth ministries, uh, came out of his office and he goes, uh, Hey, Ryan, uh, whenever you want to head to Starbucks, uh, I'll let you know what I'm having. Um, <laughs> that actually happened. Um, but I didn't, I didn't end up going. I hope that, I hope that Job can forgive me. Um, no, in, in all seriousness, uh, it's an honor and a joy for me uh, to have the opportunity to preach to you this morning. Uh, guys, I, I love doing this. I believe God's called me to be a pastor, and I really love that, that we're a congregation that encourages uh, and gives opportunities for, for new preachers like me uh, to get into the pulpit. Uh, it's a big deal to me. That's, that's, where I, that's why I dress up, because uh, it's a big deal. Um, Jason makes it look real easy, and, and, it, and it's not. Um, but I'm, I'm really thankful for the opportunity to be up here once again. I'd also like to thank you uh, as members of the church just for being here, um, for your role in confirming my call to pastoral ministry. Uh, I think that you can be thankful that you are a congregation that encourages uh, the, the next generation of pastors and church leaders. Uh, we consider ourselves a, a teaching hospital, right? Just like teaching hospitals train up the next generation of doctors, uh, EBF trains up the next generation of, of church leaders and pastors, of which I am one. Uh, so I thank the Lord for this church, and I thank the Lord for each one of you this morning. We are back in 1 Samuel this morning, and we find ourselves in 1 Samuel 14, starting in verse 24. We've seen a lot so far in 1 Samuel. I'll give you a quick summary. Um, So the nation of Israel, the, the, the people of God, are on the quest for a human king. They want a king to rule over them, a human king, and go out before them in battle, just like all the other nations. We read in chapter 8, it says, But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but there shall be a king over us that we also may may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battle. So the Lord tells Israel that this isn't right for them. There's this great passage where where the Lord says, he'll take from you. He'll take all these things from you. Uh, But but Israel says, Israel says, no. They say, no, we shall have a king over us. Do you know any any toddlers whose favorite word is no? Yeah, maybe maybe one of your kids went through through that phase where where, where it was just no, no, all the time. Uh, And when I read this passage, I imagine Israel like one of those toddlers just straight up throwing a fit, okay? They're, they're, they're screaming, they're throwing a temper tantrum just because they want a king so bad. And that's why, they say, that's why they say, no, but we shall have a king over us. They're, they're totally throwing a fit. So, so God, through Samuel, warns the people of Israel 
that this earthly king will be a mistake for them, that the Lord is intended to be the one true king of Israel, and that Israel should not want to be like all the other nations. Nevertheless, God grants their request. He, he gives them what they want. He gives them their king, um, but, but he doesn't turn out to be all the nation of Israel imagined. Uh, we're, getting, we're beginning this morning right after a, a pretty long string of Saul's failures. In chapter 13, Saul offered a sacrifice too soon without waiting for Samuel. Uh, Samuel said, wait seven days and then we'll offer the sacrifice together. Uh, and the Philistines, the, the enemies kept closing in and getting closer and getting closer. And Saul got more and more scared and scared and scared. So, so he panics on the seventh day and he offers the sacrifice uh, without Samuel. Um, and then in the beginning of chapter 14, um, Saul, Saul takes that command to wait. Samuel's like, why didn't you wait for me? And Saul's like, oh, oh, you want me to wait? Okay, I'll go wait in that pomegranate cave while Jonathan's out defeating the Philistines. So, 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 so Samuel says, wait. And Saul says, okay, I'll go hide out until I hear an, an explicit word from God. So it's with these failures in context that we, we begin our passage this morning. And I'd like to start by talking about this idea of, of kingship. We all anoint kings in our life. People or things that we anoint and put on the throne of our lives and, and ultimately worship. And, and there are two types of kings. There are earthly kings or, or idols, things that, things that shouldn't be on our throne. And then there is the one true king, our heavenly king, who is Jesus. And here's the big idea this morning. The big idea, Jesus is the only one who can be king in our lives. He is the better king. Jesus is a better king. And today we celebrate Palm Sunday, uh, the day in which Jesus triumphantly rode into the city of Jerusalem at the start of his last week of ministry on earth before his death on Good Friday. And we're going to get there, okay? We're going to get to Palm Sunday. Believe it or not, we're going to get to the Palm Sunday message out of the book of First Samuel. Um, but in order to see how Jesus is the one true king, we first have to look at an example in the Bible of a human king, an earthly king, King Saul. Which brings us to our passage this morning. First Samuel 14, 24 to 52. And you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, we've got a lot of text to get through this morning. Uh, and along the way, uh, we're going to make three conclusions, three conclusions for our lives from the leadership of King Saul. Uh, and these conclusions aren't just for leaders, they're for all of us. And I really believe that the Holy Spirit has a powerful word for each and every person in this room this morning. So let's join in on the story. You'll start in verse 24. It says, And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day, so Saul had laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. Let's stop right there for a second. Uh, take a look at the language of Saul. He says, Cursed. So, so we, know, we know he's off to a bad start right, right off the bat, right? He, he gets in front of his army after failure, after failure, after failure, and the first thing he says is, Cursed. So, so we're already not off to a good start, okay? It says, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. Saul makes everything about him. 
And I want to take a second to compare Saul's language with the language of his son, Jonathan, earlier in chapter 14. Take a look earlier, earlier in the chapter, verses 6 and 7. I'll read it. It says, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. So we see that Jonathan invites the Lord in. He says, here's my plan, God. I have a plan, but I'm inviting you into that process. He says, here's my plan to defeat the Philistines. Let's go up. But nothing can stop the Lord. Nothing can stop you, God, from saving by many or by few. He invites the Lord into his plans. And Saul, Saul pushes the Lord out. Saul makes everything about about him. So we've talked about this string of failures of Saul. Uh, and I have to tell you, this passage is just drama to me. It's, it's like a soap opera, okay? We have Saul offer the sacrifice too soon without Samuel. And Samuel says, why didn't you wait? So Saul takes it to the complete extreme and says, oh, you want me to wait? I'll go wait in the pomegranate cave. <laughs> instead of fighting the battle that I'm supposed to fight, instead of accomplishing the Lord's mission for my life, I'll go hide out. Uh, But then Jonathan gets the glory for he delivered victory with the Lord unto Israel. Uh, But that isn't okay for Saul. So so, so Saul's like, "Uh, I got to do something. No eating. It it makes absolutely no sense. I I, I need revenge. Nobody eat. Nobody eat any food until I'm revenged on my enemies. He's become obsessed with his human accomplishments, with winning battles, with revenge and vengeance. So he pronounces this foolish, rash vow on his army that they can't eat until he has revenge on his enemies. He became more interested in his human accomplishments than anything else. So our first conclusion from Saul's leadership this morning, our first conclusion is this. God doesn't want results. God wants relationship. God doesn't want results. God wants relationship. Saul became obsessed with his human accomplishments, with what he could do for the Lord. And and sometimes we too can get sort of bogged down uh, with these human accomplishments. Yeah, we we can spend so much time thinking about what we can do for God uh, instead of letting the love of God just wash over us. Uh, We think that God is more interested in our fruit or in our actions, and he is interested in a relationship with us. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that fruit doesn't matter in the Christian life. Fruit is very important. Results are very important to God. But you see, Saul, Saul had the order wrong. Saul had the order wrong. The fruit must come out of a relationship with God. In John 15, Jesus talks about this concept of, of abiding. Uh, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We can't bear fruit for God unless we abide in him. One translation, uh, one translation I love says, says remain. We have to, I like that. We have to remain. We have to stay put. 
in God's love. We have to stay put and remain in relationship with him. And the fruit comes out of the abiding, not the other way around. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't be interested in fruit bearing as a disciple of Christ, but the fruit has to come out of a relationship with God. Uh, another way to say that is, is it's father first and, and fruit second. It's our heavenly father first, fruit second. You see, Saul flipped it. Saul put fruit first. Saul said, I'm going to accomplish my mission. I'm going to be, re- I'm going to have vengeance on my enemies. And then somehow the Lord will be with me. Saul was less interested in a relationship with God and more interested in what he could do for God. So Saul is obsessed with his human accomplishments and delivers this rash vow on his soldiers that, that they couldn't eat. One commentator put it this way. He said, It was cruel in Saul to impose a fast at such a time. All the more that, being commander-in-chief of the army, it was his duty to do his utmost for the comfort of his soldiers. So it's in this surprise fast, in this rash vow, that we begin our passage this morning. Uh, Let's continue reading, starting in verse 25. Verse 25. Now when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. So, so picture this for a second. I'm going to try and put this in, in, in modern language. It's your busiest day at work. You've been, you've been firing on all cylinders for like 12 hours. Uh, you haven't eaten all day, and for some reason you can't eat. Maybe you have some, some medical procedure coming up or something. You, you, you can't eat food all day. You're, you're faint, you're hungry, you're angry. Some would say you're, you're hangry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some like to call it that. You, you can't eat. Uh, let, let's say for the, for the purpose of this, this illustration, you, you're working in downtown Chicago, uh, and on your way, on your walk back to the train to get home, uh, it's the middle of the summer and you have to walk through the taste of Chicago. Okay? So, so, so you're starving, your stomach like shrinks into this pit. You felt that before? Yeah? yeah, and you have to walk through the taste of Chicago, and there's like Chipotle burrito and, and Chick-fil-A spicy chicken sandwich and whatever your favorite food is just like entering your nostrils. And, and it hurts, and, it, and, and it's that hurt that, that the Israelites are feeling. So, so they're walking through the taste of Chicago, starving, and they can't, they can't eat. Keep reading, verse 27. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. So he put out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his eyes became bright. Then one of the people said, your father strictly charged the people with an oath saying, cursed be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. Then Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found. For now, the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. So Jonathan, he sees through his father's guise, yeah? He sees that Saul is obsessed with vengeance against the Philistines, so much so that he gives this foolish command to his army. It's important to note here uh, that Jonathan did not commit any sin. You know, we, we, we read the passage, kind of glance over it, and you think like, oh, Jonathan violated his father's command. Jo- Jonathan sinned. Um, 
and, and his eyes become bright. Maybe that reminds you of when, when Eve bit into the apple in the garden and, and she, could, she could see. Uh, it's not exactly that. This isn't sin. It's nourishment. Uh, so the next time you're super hungry, like the most hungry you've been in a while, pay attention to the feeling that you have in your body after you take that first bite of food. It's like your body just says, thank you. Like, thank you. I needed those calories. I needed that nourishment. So, so this eyes becoming bright is like Jonathan's body saying, thank you. He, he needed those calories. So Jonathan sees through his father's command not to eat. And this all comes back to this idea of kingship that I brought up earlier. By being obsessed with his human accomplishments, Saul has put himself on the throne of his life. Instead of owning up to his numerous mistakes as king over Israel, he would rather hide behind this rash vow, this, this foolish command. Let's move on in the passage, starting in verse 31. It says, They struck down the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajalon. Stop right there. That, that's 20 miles. Okay? So you're walking through the taste of Chicago, you're starving, you can't eat, and then you decide to go run a, run a quick marathon. Okay? Uh, they're fighting this whole time. So, so it's like more, it's more tiring than us just, just running. So you're tired, and then you go, you go decide to run a marathon. Uh, keep reading. And the people were very faint. The people pounced on the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, Behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And he said, You have dealt treacherously, Roll a great stone to me here. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Let every man bring his ox or his sheep and slaughter them here and eat. And do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and they slaughtered them there. This man that approaches Saul with the statement that the people are sinning against the Lord was presumably a priest uh, or at least someone who knew the law well. And they were probably referring to a part of the Mosaic law in, in Leviticus 17.10. Let me put it up on the screen for you. It says, If any of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. So the people arrive at Ajalon, evening falls, and they're starving. So, so the, the curse is lifted, so to speak, uh, and, and they just start to eat everything that's within their sight. They're so hungry that they neglect to properly slaughter the animal according to the Mosaic law, and instead, instead the, the passage says they pounce. They pounce on everything. Do you see what's happening here? It, it all starts with the, the rash vow, Right? Saul commands the people not to eat any food. And then the people, when they have the chance to eat, violate the command that is in God's word. So we start with something that's outside of the law, this foolish command that Saul delivers to the people, and then that causes the Israelites to violate the command that is in God's law. It all starts with this rash oath, this foolish command. And I believe God has a word for us here Are you under any rash vows? Have you put yourself or other people under any command that does not originate in Scripture? 
right? Because this, this rash vow, this, this don't eat until evening did not come from the Lord. It did not come from Scripture. And you ask, how can I tell? How can I tell if I'm under a rash vow? Are you hurting people? Are you, are you hurting people? Or are you hurting yourself? See, what Saul did hurt the Israelites, right? It hurt them. They needed food to survive, and, and they couldn't eat. So, so are you hurting people? Uh, you may not be physically hurting people. I doubt that's, that's where the people in this room are at today. But, but maybe mentally or, or emotionally, uh, are you hurting yourself, perhaps? Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example uh, from my life. Um, last year, I, I did the whole New Year's resolutions thing, right? Uh, I didn't do it this year because it totally didn't work. Um, but, but in January of 2014, I, I made this huge list on my phone, everything I was going to do in 2014, all these goals for myself. And, and one of my goals was that I was going to exercise six times every week. I was going to exercise six times every week. Uh, but, but, but I forgot that, that for, for like three months before, I hadn't exercised like at all. So, so I went from like zero to, to six times a week. And, and I really, I elevated that in my life to the point that it was king in my life. And you say, exercise, really? Okay, it's, it's an example, but, but, but it happened. It happened for me. I elevated exercise to be king in my life. If I worked out, I had a good week. If I forgot to work out or, or if I was too busy or whatever, I had a bad week. I let my exercise or lack thereof determine my mood. And, and what happened when I started with this foolish command, right? This foolish goal that I set for myself. I'm going to exercise six times a week. And what happened when I didn't follow through on that? I descended into sin. Okay, so I started with a rash vow. I'm going to exercise six times a week. And then I descended into bitterness. I descended into sloth. I got angry at myself. And, and I was thinking about this yesterday. Um, I, I hadn't thought about this in a while, but, but the passage is about not eating. And, and I wouldn't eat. I wouldn't eat unless I thought that I had earned it somehow, that, that I had earned it by working hard. And, and then when, when, I, when I got to you know, Chipotle or whatever, I ate so fast and so much that I made myself sick. So, so I started with this foolish command, okay? This thing that didn't originate in Scripture, and I descended into sin as a result of putting myself under a command that did not originate from God's Word. My question to you is, do you do this? Do you have something on the throne of your life that shouldn't be there? Are you putting yourself under some rash vow and as a result of not being able to follow through on that, descending into sinful habits like I did? So so I put exercise on the throne. I let exercise call the shots and and it was a horrible king in my life. It it couldn't sustain me. And and as a result, I, I, I descended into sin. Uh, so there's more in the passage. Keep reading in verse 35. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he built to the Lord. So Saul's heart is revealed here. When he rolls the stone, he says, roll a great stone to me. And when he builds this altar. He engages with God in this moment. He builds an altar not to build a relationship with him. He doesn't want to return to the Lord and repent of his sinfulness. He knows 
that the people have sinned by eating with the blood, and he fears God's judgment, so he uses the Lord for immediate deliverance. He tries to use God for results. It's still all about Saul. Saul's trying to cover his butt. Okay, okay he's trying to see why be. He's trying to use God for results. It's still all about Saul. Saul's depending on his own power. He's on the throne in his life, and he's trying to get a quick fix from God instead of dealing with the underlying problem that's inside his heart. Now, we arrive at our second conclusion for us from the leadership of Saul. Our second conclusion is this. Engage with God in praise and in pain. Engage with God as much in praise as you do in pain. This is the first altar that Saul built to the Lord. And why did he build it? He wanted a quick fix from God. He wanted a quick fix. And my question to you this morning is, where do you build altars to the Lord? When do you engage with God? Because my fear is that there there are people in this room, people in this church who, who only pray and only seek God and only engage with Scripture immediately after they've sinned and they want the forgiveness of God. Do you only pray to ask God for forgiveness? Because if you only build an altar to the Lord in the land of I have just sinned, if you only engage with God's mercy, his patience and his forgiveness, then you're really missing out. You're missing out like Saul on having a deeper relationship with God. I believe that God wants to deliver you from the land of I have just sinned into the land of a deep abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. See, we need a better king on our throne. We need Jesus on our throne. We need to engage with God in praise and in pain. Let's move on. Verse 36 It says, Then Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, Let us draw near to God here. And Saul inquired of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. Earlier, we saw, we saw that Jonathan invited the Lord into his plan to attack the Philistines. Saul only does so as a last resort because of the priest's reminder. I've got to think that, that if the priest hadn't said, let us draw near to God here, Saul wouldn't have done it. He, does it. he does it as a last resort. He doesn't engage with the Lord to build a relationship, but to get a quick fix. And God's angry. And you wonder why, why God doesn't answer, because he's angry with Saul's foolishness and with Saul's failures. Keep reading. Verse 38. And Saul said, Come here, all you leaders of the people, and know and see how this sin has arisen today. For as the Lord lives who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among all the people who answered him. This is the extent of Saul's authority problem. Instead of dealing with his own sin, instead of owning up to his rash vow, he's willing to kill the man that did wrong. And who did wrong? Saul. It's Saul all along. No wonder nobody answers him, right? Because, Because it's him all along that needs to answer to the Lord. Keep going. Verse 40. 
Then he said to all Israel, You shall be on one side, and I and Jonathan my son will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? If this guilt is in me or in Jonathan my son, O Lord God of Israel, give Urim. But if this guilt is in your people Israel, give Thumim. And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. Then Saul said, Cast the lot between me and my son Jonathan. And Jonathan was taken. So we don't know exactly how this process of casting lots worked. Uh, imagine a, a die, a dice, uh, and, and on one side is the, is the Thumim side, and on the other side is the Umim side, right? So, and this is how the people of Israel would engage with God and seek a yes-no answer from God, specifically to know who had failed. Uh, so, so Jonathan deter- or Saul determines that, that Jonathan has failed. Jonathan was taken. Uh, but again, even though Jonathan was taken, this does not make Jonathan guilty of sin, Jonathan only violated Saul's foolish command. God uses this in this passage to show Israel the lengths to which Saul will go before he'll deal with his own sinfulness. Verse 43. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am, I will die. And Saul said, God do so to me, and more also, you shall surely die, Jonathan. Then the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. Let's get one thing straight here, okay? This isn't Abraham and Isaac. Whenever in the Bible we have a story of someone like thinking about offering up their son, we think of Abraham and Isaac and, and God testing Abraham's faith by seeing if, if uh, he would be willing to give up his one and only son. This isn't Abraham and Isaac. God isn't testing Saul's faith. He's revealing Saul's foolishness. Jonathan did what? He, he ate a little honey, And the punishment for that is death? Saul is willing to kill his only son, or one of his sons, because he isn't willing to deal with the problems in his own heart. He's willing to go as far as to kill his son. That's that's how, how screwed up this situation is. So Saul has a problem. Saul's relying on his own power. He's putting himself on the throne instead of putting the one true king on the throne of his life. One commentator said in this passage, um, Saul alienates everybody. He he starts by alienating the Lord. Okay, and then he alienates his army with this foolish vow. And then finally, he alienates his own son. He pushes his own son away to the point of being willing to kill his son. And and my question for you this morning is, is, are you alienating yourself? Are, are you pushing God away? One of the ways that you can know if you're stuck in sin is, is if you find yourself pushing away the community around you. Saul starts by, by pushing away the Lord. That, that, that's, that's the beginning. He pushes away the Lord. And then what does he do? 
He pushes away his army, his community, those closest to him, and then he pushes away his own family, his own son. Are you alienating yourself? Have you withdrawn from your ethos community? Or are you not plugged into an ethos community because you're so committed to, to pushing people out? If, if you've withdrawn, or if, you, if you're hiding something, if you're pushing people away, can I ask for, for you right now, can you ask the Lord to lead you as you bring your sin into the light? If you're not plugged in, would you get plugged in? There are a ton of ethos communities. All the details are in your bulletin. If you've withdrawn, if you've pushed others away, will you come back into the light? I really believe that the Holy Spirit is convicting someone in this room right now to drag some secret sin, something they've, they've kept private, something they've pushed others away from, to, to drag that into the light. Let's be a people. Let's be a church that when sin enters our life, uh, we don't push the Lord out. We don't push others away. We don't push away our community. We don't alienate ourselves. We don't hide in the darkness like Saul. But we pull our community in close. And, and, we, and we pull the Lord in close to receive his grace. When we alienate ourselves from the Lord and from our community, there are consequences. In this passage, the day that began with a plan to finally and decisively defeat the Philistines, how does the day end? A draw. It says Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. The day started with plans for a victory, and it ended up with a draw. There are real consequences to our sin. There are real consequences when we push our community away from us. There's more in this passage, and and it has to do with the Israelites. Uh, Take a look at verse 45. It says, Then the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. Israel now even starts to see through the smoke and see the failures of Saul. But, but, but wait a second. Wasn't Israel just begging God for a king over them, for a human king, so they could be like all the other nations? Uh, remember that passage, that verse in chapter 8, uh, where they said no, where they threw a temper tantrum, but there shall be a king over us so that we can be like the other nations. And, and God warned them. God said, this is wrong. Uh, but in the end, the, the Israelites got what they wanted Our third conclusion this morning is this. The allure of idolatry instantly wears off. The the allure or or the sort of sparkle of our idols or our earthly kings instantly wears off. Israel got what they wanted. They begged for a human king, an earthly king. And God gave it to them. And as Christians, too, we can get what we want instead of what we need from the Lord. We can make foolish decisions. We can put earthly kings and idols on the thrones of our life. We can become idolaters like Saul. So when we as believers put earthly kings on the thrones of our lives, they promise us all sorts of things, right? They they promise us comfort or control or love, or acceptance, or or happiness. Uh, 
but they can never deliver. Our earthly kings can never deliver all that they promise. They will always fail. They can't sustain us. But our heavenly king, King Jesus, will never fail. So we find ourselves at the end of our passage this morning. Let's skip down to verse 52. Verse 52, it says, There was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he attached him to himself. Saul attached any strong man to himself. He found any big guy to hide behind and he he pulled him, pulled him and he hid behind God's responsibility for him. He hid behind God's mission for his life. He retreated and hid in fear, not wanting to deal with his own sinfulness you know who didn't attach strong men to himself? Uh, You know who didn't retreat from his responsibilities and hide from God's mission for his life? King Jesus. King Jesus. We're going to end today exactly as we began. Jesus is a better king. Jesus is our one true king. When he rode into the city that day 2,000 years ago, he didn't attach any strong man to himself, but he, he rode in triumphantly. He rode into Jerusalem triumphantly. And unlike Saul, Jesus actually knew what was going to take place that week in his divinity. He knew that Good Friday was coming closer and closer, and he knew that he'd be tortured and beaten and ultimately die on the cross. But, but instead of retreating, he, he opened himself up and he entered the city one more time. So, so we find ourselves at the Palm Sunday message, yes? Instead of hiding behind a strong man like Saul, Jesus entered the city. And we read this in Matthew 21. Uh, if you want to turn there and follow along, Matthew 21, just real quick. It says, Now when they drew near, to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew that Good Friday was coming closer and closer. And he didn't retreat like Saul. He didn't hide. But he entered the city one final time, riding on a colt and a donkey. He didn't hide behind somebody else or run away from God's mission he opened up his arms on the cross. And as he died, 
the sins of mankind were paid in full. So as you go through your week, as you prepare your hearts for Good Friday and Easter, my prayer is that you would put King Jesus on his throne, where he belongs in your heart. Throw off any idols that are keeping you from worshiping him fully and enter into the open arms of King Jesus. He wants to enter into relationship with you this morning, right now in your seat. The one thing he needs is to be put on the throne, to be put on his throne in your life. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for sending King Jesus for us. Lord, I thank you that he didn't retreat from his responsibilities. God, he didn't hide from your mission for his life, but he rode into the city. Fully knowing what was coming, he rode into the city triumphantly. Lord, I lift up any of my brothers or sisters here who have the wrong king on their throne. Lord, I pray that you'd, you'd minister to them, that your Holy Spirit would be with them in this moment, that they would receive the comfort and the forgiveness of our Lord Jesus Christ that he freely offers, and that they would put you, Jesus, that they would put King Jesus where he belongs, Lord, in their life. May all the people within the sound of my voice this morning throw off their idols and put King Jesus on his throne where he belongs. Lord, you love us so much. We'll never understand how much you love us, Lord. And you want to enter into relationship with us. And I pray that we'd put you on your throne. In Jesus' name, amen.